0: Sermons from Union Chapel Baptist Church So we're continuing our series through the book of Matthew. We are in Matthew 15, starting in verse 21. And today we're going to look at a, a remarkable passage, a somewhat complicated dialogue between Jesus and a Canaanite woman. And the main point that we're going to get to is that Jesus is the bread of life for everyone, all kinds of people, every tribe, nation, and tongue he died for. And specifically, the bread of life is that he's the everlasting bread, that if you believe in him, you take and eat of his body, and you'll have everlasting life. I get that. First, I want to point us into this kind of trajectory of looking at Jesus as the everlasting bread of life. John makes this clear, but it'll be, it'll be in, in our passage as well today in Matthew. But I do want to point us to John six thirty-five. He makes this really clear. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And he's not talking about physical hunger. He's talking about spiritual hunger. That when you eat of his body that is broken for you on the cross, if you believe in him, if you trust in him, you will have eternal life. You'll never be hungry again. And that's what he's talking about there. So Jesus is the bread of life for everyone. And we'll also see Jesus today talking with this Canaanite woman. We'll see him giving her a test, testing her faith. And in this test, will he'll be teaching teaching us something teaching us something about faith teaching us something about the great love of god that he has for all peoples and so a little context of matthew fifteen twenty one. last week uh, we saw jesus rebuking the pharisees for elevating man-made traditions and elevating external purity over the word of god and internal purity and so it's a good transition as a contrast. Jesus just got done rebuking them, for they depended on their lineage as Pharisees, as uh, Jewish people by lineage, and they thought that would save them because they did the external things, they did the they they did all the rituals, but they didn't have a heart change. And so now we transition. Jesus is going to show in in real life that you don't have to be from the Jewish lineage to be a part of God's kingdom. He will go to the Gentiles. And that will kind of frame our conversation on our passage today. And so we're going to break it up into three sections. First, Jesus, we'll see Jesus tests the Canaanite woman. And then second, Jesus heals the Gentiles. And then third, Jesus feeds the 4,000. And all of this is pointing to Jesus being the bread of life. For everyone. So, first, starting in verse 21, the Canaanite woman. When Jesus left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. So, he just left the Jewish territory, he's going to the pagan port cities on the Mediterranean Sea. And this is very important as Jesus is moving into the Gentile mission. And Tyre and Sidon were actually spoken of in Matthew eleven twenty one, Because in Matthew eleven twenty one 21, Jesus was just doing miracles to the Jewish cities, and they didn't believe in him. And he calls them out in verse 21. He says, "...woe to you, Chorizon, woe to you, Bethsaida." J- predominantly Jewish cities. He says, "...if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon..." The Gentile cities, he says, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. And there he's making the point, just because you have some familiarity with the Old Testament, just because you have some good family background, doesn't mean that they responded correctly to Jesus. And Jesus' words here are somewhat prophetic because we will actually see a positive response from Tyre and Sidon, from this Canaanite woman, showing that... All peoples can be brought into God's kingdom. And many Jews would have actually avoided these Gentile cities because they viewed them as defiled, as unclean ritually. So much so that if they did, for whatever reason, if they had to go to this city, if they had to even walk through this Gentile area, Their rabbis, their teachers, advised them to stay on top of their donkeys or their animals so as not to touch the ground. And they said, if you don't have an animal to ride on, get on your friend's shoulders. Because that's how serious they were. They're like, you don't touch the ground. It's defiled. It's unclean. But we need to remember Jesus' teaching from last week, that it's not about external defilement. You're not made unclean by walking in a pagan country. Jesus says you're made unclean because of your evil desires that overflow from your heart. And that's what the Jewish people at the time and the Pharisees were missing. They were focused on these external things. They were like, oh, I'm good. I'm clean because I never walked into this pagan city. Just like, but yeah, you don't take care of your family members. You don't show love to anyone. You don't show mercy. You're missing the point. So we need to let this be a lesson to us that we need to share the good news with everybody. Pagan country, and even a Christian country, even a religious country. Because we cannot assume just because someone grew up with knowledge of the Bible that they really get it. That they really trust in Jesus as their Savior. And the opposite is true, that we can't assume just because someone has never heard of the Bible or that even has practiced a false religion all their life, we can't assume that they can't repent and be changed. That's the power of God. The power, Jesus can change anyone. We don't know who will believe, but we are called to share with all peoples, no matter their background. As we see Jesus in this area of the pagan cities Tyre and Sidon the most unexpected thing happens verse 22 just then a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out have mercy on me Lord son of David my daughter is severely tormented by a demon now this Canaanite woman Or if you look at the parallel passage in Mark 7.26, Mark calls her a Seraphoenician. Now, some people would say, oh, look, the Bible contradicts itself. Is is she Canaanite or is she Seraphonician? It's an easy thing to uh, correct. There is no contradiction. A Seraphoenician is merely a more specific part of Canaan. So she's generally from Canaan, a Canaanite, more specifically a Seraphonician. So there's no contradiction between Matthew and Mark. Mark is just being more specific. And this interaction between the Canaanite woman and uh, Jesus is remarkable because Jesus being from the Jewish nation, and she responds uh, with a Jewish title, Lord, Son of David. And it's remarkable that this interaction is because the Canaanites were historic enemies of the Jewish people. All throughout the Old Testament, the Canaanites were in conflict, in war with the Jewish people. Second, it would be remarkable that a non-Jew would understand and declare that Jesus is Lord, son of David. So here in verse 22, the Canaanite woman comes in faith. She comes in dependence to Jesus, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, save, help me, as we'll see. Son of David recognizing that he has the power, likely hearing about the miracles, likely hearing about the teachings, what he's been able to do, how he's been able to cast out demons. She trusts in him, trusts in his power. And the son of David is a title used in the Old Testament of the promised Messiah, the son of David that would come to save his people. And as we'll see, who are his people? So, Look at the next verse, verse 23. It perhaps is more remarkable, perhaps shocking to us, verse 23. Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, send her away because she's crying out after us. Wow. (laughs) What is going on? And Jesus replies in verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel Before I explain this passage I do want to point out that if I were just picking verses to preach this would not be the top of the list on the easiest passages to preach but the benefit of going verse by verse it forces us to deal with the whole counsel of God to deal with verses like this what is Jesus saying why is he why did he say this what is going on and it's I also want to point out too that It's difficult passages like this that actually help us refute claims that the Bible is just made-up stories, that the Bible is just made-up stories to start a new religion. Because think about it, if you were writing a story for your new religion, and you end your story with Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, why would you write in your story, verse 24? Why would you have the leader of your religion, Jesus, say, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Right? It makes your story somewhat complicated. Because if you were writing a story and you want people to believe it, wouldn't you make it very easy to understand? Matthew isn't making this story up. It actually happens. And as often the case, real life is more complicated than a fairy tale. And so first, let's notice that Jesus does not send her away. What is his response? It is silence at first. And it is his disciples who has been shown time and time again that they are slow to understand. His disciples are not yet fully grasping what Jesus is doing. And they're irritated. And they're the ones who want to send her away. Let's not be like the disciples in this case. Second, Jesus says, look at the phrase, notice, he says, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, who does that refer to? This harkens back, this language harkens back to Ezekiel 34, because Ezekiel 34 is the only Old Testament chapter to describe the house of Israel as a flock of sheep who are lost. And then those are scattered throughout Ezekiel 34. And so the key question for us is, who are the lost sheep of the house of Israel? The first answer that you might think would be the Jewish people. The people in the lineage of Abraham, a.k.a. not this Canaanite woman. And that's how many people in Jesus' time would have thought that the Jewish Messiah was going to save his people, the Jewish people. But we've been seeing time and time again in Matthew that he's coming to save all who come to faith in him, no matter Jew or Gentile. And that will be a big emphasis in this passage. And we see this even hinted at in Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, verse 11 We see him pointing us to all nations being adopted into God's family. Starting in verse 11. He says, For this is what the Lord God says. See, I myself will search for my flock, and I will look for them. As shepherds look for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and total darkness. I will bring them out of the people's, gathered them from the countries. So who are the people, who are the sheep, who are the house of Israel? He's bringing them out of all countries, perhaps even Tyre and Sidon. So back in verse 24, why does Jesus say this then? If he's going to all nations, why does he say, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? It seems that Jesus is testing her faith. He's using this common belief in the time to say that the Jewish Messiah is only coming to save the Jewish people, and he presents this claim to her, and how will she respond? Will she buy into the lie? Will she buy into thinking that I have to be externally clean, that I have to be from a good family to be saved? The same is for us. Will we buy into the lie thinking that we can't be saved because of our sinful past? Will we buy into the lie thinking that we can't be saved because of our family? Or will we be like the disciples here and buy into the lie and not offer the gospel to people of different backgrounds than us? The gospel is for all people. Will we freely offer it to everyone? And will we respond in faith To Jesus as the Canaanite woman does look in verse 25 but she came knelt before him this idea of worship kneeling before Jesus in worship and said Lord help me it doesn't matter your background come to Jesus in worship and say Lord help me the woman was looking to Jesus to cast out a demon and to heal her daughter physically from the demons torments Jesus can and does have the power and authority to do that and to do such things. Even more so, his power and authority extends, and this it points to him forgiving sin and healing us, healing our very hearts and cleansing our hearts of sin. And the only requirement is to come to him in faith, in dependence, saying, Lord, help me. Trusting in him as your God. As your Savior as your King and Jesus wants to make sure she truly understands and he presents her another test of her belief verse 26 he answered it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs what is Jesus communicating by this illustration unlike the previous statement this illustration is not dependent on the Old Testament but instead is a common-to-life example. Because any good parent would not allow their children to go hungry to feed their dogs. At least I hope you wouldn't. For the word dogs here in verse 26 likely refers to little dogs that lived in the family's house and were fed by the master's hand. They were the beloved pet of the house. And as much as they loved their pet... Everyone recognized when it came down to survival, they would choose their children over their dogs. So in other words, Jesus is saying it wouldn't be right for him to stop telling the Jewish people about the kingdom of God and doing miracles among them and ministering to the Jewish people. It wouldn't be right for him to stop that and just exclusively minister to the Gentiles. Would you want me to take the bread and give it to the dogs? And again, how will she respond? This is likely a test. Will she buy into the lie that she can't be a part of God's kingdom because she's a Gentile? Because she's ritually unclean? Because most people during Jesus' time thought the Messiah would only bring salvation to the Jewish people. And when they hear Jesus' statement, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, many people would be like, yeah, that's right. It would be wrong for the Messiah to leave the Jewish people and exclusively go to the Gentiles. But the Canaanite woman understands. We see her great faith. She understands that it's not an either or. It's not either the Jewish people or the Gentile people, but it's a both and. It's the salvation is for all people's, Jewish, Gentile, everyone. And this is how she replies. She says, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So she's saying, You don't have to take it from the Jews. You don't have to take the bread from the table. The gospel is plentiful for everyone. There's so much crumbs on the table, it's overflowing. And as we'll see, Jesus is the bread of life, and we'll see the picture of him feeding the 4,000. And how much bread is left over? Seven baskets full. And she realizes it's not an either or, but a both and. Jesus come to save all kinds of people. Jesus calls you to come to him in faith. Don't buy into the lie of the, the culture to say that you have to be externally pure or from a different family or from a different uh, socioeconomic or whatever. Jesus says the kingdom is for all people. And he says, come to me, and he says, eat of my body. That is, he is the bread of life broken for you on the cross. Trust in him. Follow the example of the Canaanite woman. Because Jesus, he commends her faith. Look in verse 28. He says, woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. She passed the test. She didn't buy into the lie because of her nationality, because she wasn't Jewish, or because she wasn't ritually or externally clean. She didn't buy into the lie that she couldn't come to eat with the Jewish Messiah, the son of David, as she calls him. It is her faith in him, her trust in him, that Jesus commends and points to the ultimate healing, the healing from the disease of sin and death and grants us eternal life a seat with Jesus at the eternal banquet table listen to revelation 320 what jesus says this offers for everyone he says see i stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come into him and eat with him and he with me this offers for everyone and this is a picture of eternity an eternity with jesus in heaven. That offers for everyone, all kinds of people. So, do you hear his voice? Have you opened the door? Have you invited others to experience what you've experienced, regardless if you think them unworthy, unclean, or different than you? Jesus came to save all kinds of people. Specifically, he came to save sinful people from people from every nation, tribe, language. Everyone is in need of salvation, in need of Jesus's healing power, and his grace is overflowing. The goodness is for all people, and there are baskets and basketfuls of his goodness and grace. So let's turn to this second section here, Jesus heals the Gentiles. It kind of serves as like a hinge point, kind of building up to this Gentile uh, mission of Jesus And we'll just spend a a short time on this second section. Verse 29. It says, Moving on from there, Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee. He went up on the mountain and sat there. And large crowds came to him, including the lame, the blind, the crippled, those unable to speak, and many others. They put them at his feet and he healed them. So the crowd was amazed when they saw those unable to speak talking the crippled restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they gave glory to the God of Israel. So two things I want to point out in this section. First, Jesus shows that he is the Messiah, that he is God in the flesh, doing things God can only do. This has been a major theme in the book of Matthew, and it's fulfilling Old Testament prophecies about who the Messiah would be. A pointer to that Jesus is more than just a mere man? Second, we see that Jesus is performing these miracles in Gentile territory. This is made clear from Mark's parallel passage in 731. Jesus is still in Gentile lands. He just left the Canaanite woman and he's right in the Gentile area and he's ministering to these groups of Gentiles. He, he's extending his ministry to them. And we see the remarkable grace of God to give people more than just f- physical healings of sight because they're, it's miraculous and they glorify God because they did these things. But in that, they turn and glorify God is a, is a sign that they get it, that God's grace is to open their spiritual eyes as well, that they worship the God of Israel for what Jesus is doing. Again, who knows what God will do? Jesus goes to these Gentiles, and they glorify God because of it. Who knows what God will do when we share the good news of Jesus? By God's grace, they may respond in belief and worship. And Jesus continues to go into the Gentiles, and we see this picture presented in Matthew 15, 32, when Jesus feeds the 4,000, starting in verse 32. Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry, otherwise they might collapse on the way. Does this sound familiar? Right? Jesus fed 5,000 people before in the Jewish area, now he's feeding the 4,000. And he says, we, need, we don't want to send them away hungry. And the disciples said, where could we get enough bread in this desolate place to feed such a crowd? It's kind of like, do you not get it? Jesus has already done this very miracle. Disciples are slow to understand. Man. And perhaps they're slow to understand because they're still buying into that old mindset of they think that Jesus is only going to the Jewish people. And so now he has a crowd of all these Jewish pagan people, and they're like, well, he's not going to feed these people. We've got to get out of here. But no, Jesus is like, I'm going to have compassion on everybody. I'm going to feed them too. And we kind of laugh at the disciples and we're like, why don't they get it? But we're like that too, right? God sustains us through something. Uh, some, you know, we, we come out on the other side of that situation, that hardship, and God grants us the ability to look back and see how God was working in the midst of that situation. And we praise God, we tell other people what God has done for us. And then a few days later, maybe even the next day, something else happens to us, and we're like, oh, God doesn't love me, life is over. And you're like, what, what's going on? Didn't you just realize just what God did for you in the, a couple days ago? It's not only for physical or temporary situations in life, we do this in our spiritual life as well. For example, you come to Christ you realize how he died on the cross for you that he's forgiven you of your sins that there's no more condemnation in Christ and you're perfect you're in God's family and then the next day next couple of days you backtrack into you fall into a sin and and what what is often the case sometimes we we go back and we we think oh i have to earn God's forgiveness now Oh, yeah, he died for me for that other sin, but now this is a new sin I did. Now I have to earn my forgiveness. And we're like, no, <laughs> God died for you. He, sa- he saved you. You're perform- God does not love you. His-, His love is not dependent on your performance. Amen. It's dependent on Christ. Christ did what you couldn't do. And so we're all learning. We all need to be remembered and reminded what Christ has done for us and not Go back into those old ways of thinking. All right, so we need, to, we need to be patient with the disciples. We need to be patient with others. God is patient with us. And Jesus is going to be patient with his disciples here. He explains to them yet again how he will do this. Verse 34. He says, How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked them. Seven, they said, and a few small fish. Interestingly, this is more bread than they had in the last one. So Jesus will make use of this as well. Verse 35, After commanding the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, gave thanks, and broke them, and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. They all ate, were satisfied, and they collected the leftover pieces, seven large baskets full. It's interesting that they note the number of baskets And Jesus will make this clear in in next week or uh, in two weeks that this is important. These numbers are important. Last time we looked at there were 12 baskets left over of food, likely symbolizing that Jesus' body broken for them is going to be the salvation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And now here, the seven baskets likely symbolizing that he is, his body, the bread, broken for all peoples. Seven, a number of completion or wholeness. And I want want to point out six pointers to this idea of including all peoples. So that I'm not just reading into this, but this has been a theme throughout Matthew. So, six things. First, the theme of the Gentile inclusion begins at the very beginning of Matthew, Matthew 1 1. Jesus was called the son of Abraham. Now it's significant that he's called the son of Abraham because Jesus has come to fulfill the promise given to Abraham in Genesis twenty-two eighteen. 18. It says, all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. Jesus is the seed. He is the offspring to come that brings blessing to all nations. Second, we see God including the nations even in his plan to bring forth the Messiah. Matthew includes and points out that in the lineage of Jesus, the Messiah, in Jesus' lineage, he had four women, Tamar in verse 3, Rahab and Ruth in verse 5, and Uriah's wife in verse 6. All these women are non-Israelites. They would be considered foreigners. God is using them to reach the nations and point out that he includes the nations in his salvation plan. Third, We saw the Gentile centurion, that Roman soldier that exhibited greater faith than anyone in Israel, Jesus said. Fourth, we just saw how the Canaanite woman has faith in Jesus, which is in contrast to last week, we saw how the Pharisees, the Jewish people, rejected Jesus. And still being in Gentile territory, Jesus heals many. Many Gentiles, he, and he miraculously feeds thousands of Gentiles. And then finally in verse 37, we see the abundance of God's mercy, the offer of salvation to all nations played out visually in the seven baskets full of leftover food. Again, seven being a number of completion or wholeness. So time and time again, the book of Matthew makes clear that Jesus the Messiah is for all peoples, all kinds of peoples. So, application for us. Are you a person? If so, you are enabled. You, the, the call to the gospel is for you. All peoples. The call is to have faith in him. Don't buy into the lies of the world. Jesus can save you no matter your past. No matter your sin. No matter what someone has done to you or what you have done to someone, Jesus can save you because he is the bread of life. His body broken on the cross for you. And then second, if you do trust in Jesus, if he has saved you, offer this to all kinds of people and love all kinds of people as Jesus did. Because the mission of Jesus is not over. People everywhere need to hear about him and the good news he offers. And Jesus', and Jesus story also continues in the book of Matthew as we conclude in verse 38. Now there, were four thir- now there were 4,000 men who had eaten besides women and children. And after dismissing the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. So Jesus brings his mission back into Jewish territory. Because remember, it's not an either or. He's not leaving the Jewish people to go to the Gentiles. He's bringing his mission to all peoples. And we'll see next week, Jesus will face opposition again by the Jewish religious leaders. So I want to leave you with this question. How will you respond to Jesus and his word this week Will you see everyone as an opportunity for the gospel? Or do you see some people as unclean and unworthy of Jesus? Thanks for listening. For more information, see unionchapelbaptist.org.